I remember hearing about your calling and I was thinking, well, well, what, what could be so different about it? I mean, I've, I've, I've seen some of the, some of the best callers in the world, you know, up on stage and everything. And then when I hunted with you uh, for the first time, that's when I finally got it. Um, and that's when it finally really hit, hit home and it really inspired me. I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I just need to learn to learn to do that. And, you know, fast forward years later and I haven't, but, <laughs> but it has been <laughs> super inspiring. Um, and, uh, it's just a really cool thing. Like when somebody takes it to the next level and, you know, really works on the, the cadence, um, yeah. to take things supernatural. Welcome to the DSD podcast. I'm your host, Brad Cochran. I'm here with my partner, Dave Smith. And on today's episode, we have our good friend and avid turkey hunter and expert caller, Aaron Brooks from Mount Ockham, California. Aaron, how you doing, buddy? Good, good. How's it going? Not too shabby. Are you pumped for turkey season or what? Yeah, of course. How's it looking down there? What's the what's the crop of longbeards looking like? Oh, it looks great. There's just a gob of them. Um, tons of two-year-olds and lots of jakes again. So, yeah, there's a there's a ton of longbeards. It's looking really good. Boy, you know, that's the report every year from you, isn't it, Aaron? That's just an amazing place. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. This year's even... Looking better than the last couple of years, so. Wow. Should be pretty good. There was a ton of jakes last year, so now, you know, they're all two-year-olds this year. So they, you know what happens with two-year-olds. They go pretty crazy. So, oh, yeah. So why don't you tell 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 us, us roughly where you live and where you hunt. That's just some of the most beautiful country, and a lot of people don't really even realize uh, that California has that kind of country. Yeah, um, it is super cool country. Just El Dorado County, um, we're real close, right on the El Dorado Amador County line. In the foothills, you know, I mean, we live at 2,500 feet, but we hunt anywhere from down in the valley to up to 5,000 feet. So. Mm-hmm. And you you guys do a lot of blacktail hunting and you've shot some monster blacktails and are you turkey hunting in the same areas that you're blacktail hunting roughly? Yep. Oh, yeah. that's good. Yeah, all the same spots. So. Yep. Are the um are the birds broken up out of their winter flocks now? Yeah, they are and just like week before last is when they pretty much started really dispersing and spreading out and going crazy. Um, but yeah, now they're all split up and, and ready to go. Seeing some single hens here and there that are starting to nest. And, um, just this past weekend was the junior opener and I took the boys out and my youngest one, Wyatt, he killed one on Saturday and then Taylor, my older boy, he killed one on Sunday. And the birds were hot. So <laughs> that's, were, that's doing, awesome. They were doing good already. Gobbling a lot and responding to calls and coming in from pretty far away. And yeah, it was good. Wow, oh, man. What's the weather like? Not too good, but today it's raining again. It's supposed to be nice this weekend, so that'll be good, but. The last week, we finally had a little bit of sunshine. Before that, it's been pretty much rain and snow for six or eight weeks. Yeah. <laughs> what What would you say, Aaron, are ideal conditions for you as far as, um, you know, birds being, you know, kind of in their prime in terms of how they respond to the call and, and work your decoys and, and whatnot? Like the weather conditions? Yeah, optimal weather conditions. I, uh, I mean, obviously clear, but uh, it always seems to be better to me when it's colder. Hmm. When they when it gets too too hot, like in I would say over eighty degrees, like 
we get a lot of towards the middle or end of the season, they just don't seem to like it. Yeah, they really seem to kind of shut down and don't don't yeah. talk too much and yeah. and and aren't real active and certainly less aggressive. Hmm. But so when you say cold, how how cold are we are we talking? I would say, I mean, usually, you know, first thing in the morning before fly down, it's, you know, sometimes it's below freezing and then, you know, in upper 20s or right around 30 and then, you know, get up to 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning, it starts to get into the 40s and then in the afternoon in the 50s, so just, you know, just nice and cool. And I always thought the birds liked that better. Yeah, so if it stays cool, like doesn't get doesn't get much warmer than you know, say into the upper fifties, sixty degrees, maybe tops. Um, will you find that yeah. the birds will stay active more or less um, all yeah. day? Yeah, that's what it seems like. Okay. Yeah. And at the same time, do you find maybe that on an overcast day, midday, they're maybe a little more active than if it were um, if it were clear? Yeah, I like the overcast days too because yeah, they seem to be to stay hot, you know, longer, more during the day. Hmm. Yep. Okay, so um, let's talk about let's talk about calling um, since that's that's an area where you certainly excel. Um, what what types of calls are you running typically? I don't carry much in my vest. Um, I carry two slate-style calls, which are both aluminum surface, and like four different strikers. And that's pretty much all I carry in my vest, other than my diaphragm um, in my little pouch around my neck. But I'll have two or three different diaphragms. Uh, and then obviously locator calls. I have a crow and an affiliated woodpecker and coyote howler. But typically I just use a diaphragm call for most everything. Um, I would say 90% of the time I might use a one of the aluminum style calls. If I need to, if they're not responding, if I need some more volume, and then I'll start them with that. But then once, if they start coming in, I'll just switch to a diaphragm. Uh-huh. So, and locators I don't use very often. I always end up finding myself just using a turkey call, even for a locator. Um, but a lot of times... I'll go to the locator when I'm, I don't know, just if I already know pretty much there's a bird there and I just want him to gobble again so I can pinpoint him. Uh-huh. I'll use the locator and typically I'll use the coyote howler. Once in a while I'll use a crow call, but usually I use a turkey call for a locator too, just which a lot of times it's, It'll get you scrambling, you know, because you already used a hen call, so you're diving for the nearest tree or whatever you you have, and you don't have much time to really pick a good setup, which sometimes can screw you. But I don't know. That's just how I've always gone about it. Yeah, that's why I like to typically stay away from using a... <laughs> using a hen call as my locator because it, I've always so freaked out that there's going to be a bird just up over the rise, you know, or right around a, um, you know, a corner and, and I'm going to get caught with my pants down and I just hate that yeah. feeling. So I love I to use a, I, I personally, my favorite locator call is a goose call. Yeah, I know. And I love it when, when we hunt and you'd blow the goose call for a locator cause it works great. And yeah, I don't, I don't have a goose call, and I don't know how to blow one anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that country that you're hunting in, Aaron, it's kind of big. It's kind of big country, 
And a lot of the times where I've seen you use this the slate call as a locator, it's it's when we're you know in a pretty large expanse where we couldn't, couldn't get busted right away. But also, I can remember at least one time where we did it sort of in the in the woods and and did get a gobble like less than 100 yards away. A, a, you know, a tom that was fast approaching, and we tried to set up really quick and kind of got busted. But it seems like mm-hmm. most of the time that I've hunted with you, you've been using that. Um, Slate call is a locator in pretty pretty big, pretty open country. It's it's nothing like, you know, some of the some of the swampy uh wooded places in the southeast and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the aluminum helps for the for the big open country up here. Yeah. Carries along it's a lot a lot further than a diaphragm will. So could you take us through a typical calling sequence um, from locating all the way to bringing a bird into range, Aaron? Yeah, so if I were to use a locator, uh, most likely be a howler. Um, you know, get the bird to gobble. It depends on how far he is, but so get into a comfortable calling distance, which I would say 200, 250 yards, they'll usually come that far. Um, and then just as far as calling, I, the diaphragm, I pretty much stick to yelping you know, all the time. It's, I was thinking about that not too long ago and realizing how much I just use the plain yelp is pretty much my go-to call all the time. I don't even find myself mixing in anything else anymore. It's just just yelping. I mean, once in a while I'll cut here and there if I need to or feel like I need to get them fired up, but do some cutting, but not too often, but um, mainly yelping and the cadence and the sporadicness of it is I think definitely is key because um, if I'm working a bird, I'll wait or you know pause between calls for a really long time. Sometimes a lot of people think it's too long, but you know I'll pause for five ten minutes before I even make another call, even if the bird's not gobbling. Um, and then as far as when I am yelping, just the cadence, I don't yelp like long strings of yelps, kind of break it up with even one or two notes. And a lot of times, which really sounds super real is like one or two yelps and then like a half second to a second pause between a couple more or three more yelps. Just really putting those pauses in there makes it seem super real. Yeah, I, you know, I'm sorry, I don't mean to stop you here, but um, I just wanted to comment on, you know, having hunted with you um, dozens of times over the years, that's one thing that I, I notice about your your calling and one of the things that I think makes it sound so realistic versus a lot of other people I've heard calling is the sporadicness and the pauses in your yelping. And man, if you listen to live hens and, and I know this because I've heard live hens talking back and forth with you so many times, Mm -hmm. that's how they call, you know, it's not these 15, 20 note drawn out, series of yelps it's these short five six note with a pause somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. um you know series and um and and then getting back to the sporadicness i mean i think that i think that that's a lot of the 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 lure of of your calling um what makes it so effective is the um is the the random the well yeah random. It, it, the randomness sure but the the sporadicness the long drawn out pauses going 5 to 10 minutes between 
calling to a bird. I think a lot of that creates anticipation and impatience on the part of the bird. I think I, I make the mistake a lot of times of calling too frequently. Like I just call over and over and I get impatient. And I think I, I feel like a lot of times a bird at that point thinks, oh, okay, well, she's excited. She's going to come to me, you know, because in the wild, that's so often how it happens anyways, naturally. And mm-hmm. you kind of flip it around and, and you're the patient one, you yeah. know, and, um, and I can tell you is sitting up against a tree next to you. It creates all kinds of anticipation, you know, for, <laughs> for your hunters too. Yeah. At the same time, you know, you're like, Oh, when's he going to call again? When's he going to call again? And there's always yeah. that, you know, heart stopping moment when you do call mm-hmm. and, you yeah. know, usually you, you get a gobble right on top of it. And it, it just seems like a more oh. effective way of calling. Yeah. I, I that's, it seems to work really good. I mean, it's like you said, almost flip it around to where you're making the, you're making the Turkey coming in being the impatient one. That's like wondering what's, what's going on. Where's she at? Yeah. What would she not like me now? What's going on? Yeah. You know, like you're, you're you're like, you're, you're preying on the birds insecurities, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, More or less. I think, um, Constant calling means that the the gobbler knows knows where you're at, and uh-huh. is is content with that. And when you stop calling, you know he no longer knows where you're at, and he's like, yeah. "All right, what's going on here?" Yeah, yeah, he doesn't know, you know, what's happening or what you're doing or why you stopped calling, where you went. And like, I think it makes him start to think and wonder, you know. Yeah, and it and it feels like it creates more of a sense of desperation a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I love it too when when you don't call for a while, like five or ten minutes, and the bird gobbles on his own. That's the best. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> that's a good sign. Um, so do you happen to have uh, one of your mouth calls with you? Yeah, I mean they're close. I can grab them. They're in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we never we've never tried this um calling, you know, over over the phone with any of our guests before, but you know, I don't I would love to hear um I'd love our audience to be able to hear some of uh the the sounds that you make with your mouth call if you don't mind. Yeah, I've got them. Um, I'm going <laughs> to put one of them in water for a second and yeah Aaron I remember I remember when we first met you for the very first time and that was um we were filming a goose hunt and there was this guy back there filming and and no one ever introduced us um and I think you were traveling with Ron Latch on and he was yeah. he was filming and and finally I went back there and I introduced myself and I asked you well what what do you really like to do? What's your favorite thing to do? And I remember you said tur- turkey hunting. And then mm-hmm. as we talked more and stuff, you kind of, I kind of, you know, you didn't want to, you weren't going to brag on yourself very much, but I kind of squeezed it out of you that you had done really well in calling contests and everything. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, well, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of really good contest callers in, in a lot of different, uh, you know, uh, venues and that doesn't necessarily equate to a good, to a good hunt, hunting, um, yeah. ability. But, and then I remember, um, I remember hearing about your calling and I was thinking, well, well, what, what could be so different about it? I mean, I've, I've, I've seen some of the, some of the best callers in the world that, you know, up on stage and everything. And then when I hunted with you uh, for the first time, that's when I finally got it. Um, and that's when it finally really hit, hit home and it really inspired me. I was like, Oh my gosh, like I, I just need to learn to learn to do that. And, you know, fast forward years later and I haven't, but, <laughs> but it has been <laughs> super inspiring. Um, and, uh, it's just a really cool thing. Like when somebody takes it to the next level and, you know, really works on the, the cadence, um, yeah. to keep things supernatural. Mm-hmm. And plus it's just deadly effective. Yeah, it is for sure. And that's 
you know, I just picked it up from listening to real hymns, you know, and realized that's what they usually do. And it sounds so freaking awesome when they do it. So, and it sounds so much like not a hunter. <laughs> you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Yes. Uh, yep. That's a that's a big that's a big one. You know. Yeah. You know the randomness of it. I think. It's not just the cadence. I think a lot of hunters can get the cadence down. There's a lot of, you know, really talented guys out there who can produce a, you know, a, a yelp that sounds a lot like a hen, um, you know, be that on a mouth call or a, a slate or a box call. But, but boy, getting that, getting that, um, that rhythm down, you know, that random supernatural sounding rhythm is, is where I think a lot of guys lack and, and, um, fall short and it's just it's so random in the wild and and i see that a lot in you know like decoy placement especially when it comes to goose decoy spreads for example where guys you you know tend to use a lot of them and they put them all you know the same distance apart and just in a big blob and and you know a lot of times they're you know all facing the same direction or mostly facing the same direction and man i tell you if there's one thing that i've learned over the years in large part because dave you know kept bringing it up over and over and over again is that nature is just so random you know whether that's calling or uh, you know the flock orientation or 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 whatever you know um Mm -hmm. it's it's just it's so random yeah. Well, sure. from from a hunting standpoint, like, you know, I think a lot of people, if, you know, if you look hard enough, you could find a flock of geese where they are all the same distance apart or are all faced into the wind or whatever like that. And if you listen long enough, you can definitely hear, you can definitely hear strings of yelps of hens that are in a really, uh, in a really, you know, systemized, um, symmetrical cadence. And so then people think to themselves, well, you know, there you go. That's nature. Nature does it that way, so I can do it that way. But the important part is to is to really stand out, different from from other from other hunters, and and be be as random as possible, and and be different. Um, yeah. So even though you you may be right at times, like more often than not, geese aren't all facing the right direction, and more often than not, hens don't do this perfect cadence of, uh, you know, of the same number of yelps in a string. They're a lot more random. And, uh, that's the beauty of the beauty of imitating that part of it, you know? Yeah. It seems like there's, there's like this stereotype of what the hen turkey yelp is supposed to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and everyone, like I hear people when I'm hunting public land, I hear other guys calling and they all do the same string of yelps, which is like you start out, you kind of build your volume and a little bit as you're going through the yelping sequence. And then you kind of taper the volume off a little over the string of like a series of 15 yelps. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all just all in one run. There's no, constant yelps in yeah. this one string and and every time they call that's what they do when they probably learned that from another hunter who learned it from another hunter who learned it from another hunter <laughs> yeah. you know mm-hmm. i mean if you t- if somebody came here from 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 mars and you told them to try to sound like a turkey you know they would probably listen to some audio of, tur- of turkeys, I would hope, and learn that way. But instead, here we are on Earth, and we're, you know, there was one person who broke broke new ground and invented the turkey call and listened to turkeys, and then he's, he's taught everybody else, and that's sort of how we pass it down. Yep. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So, do you have your call ready by yeah. any chance? Aaron, you want to give us a little demo? Yeah. Um, I'll just kind of run a little bit of, I'll just do a little string of yelps and 
just I'll just do a little sequence of uh, of something. I mean, okay. All right, I think I'm ready. Oh, man, the hair is standing awesome. up on my arms right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. What I would do to be able to call like that. Does well, it sound real? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, yeah sounded, say that. it sounded great. Yeah. It, well, except for it was all wrong because we, we were listening for 15 straight Yelps in a row and it never happened. So, you know. <laughs> uh, so keep working on that. Yeah, you'll get there. You'll get there. That sounded amazing. That's just awesome. That just sounded like a live bird. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> good. Yeah. So what Brad just said something that kind of hit home too. He's like, "Oh, what I would give to be able to call like that." And I was thinking to myself, "Yeah, what I would give. Well, what what do we need to give? What do we need to do? I mean, uh, you know, we were Brad and I were just talking before we started recording." You know, we're talking about, well, we have these, you know, commutes that we have to do and everything. And why don't we just have a call in our mouth the whole time we're doing a commute or whatever? But really, what what is the best way to to get to get to that level? And obviously, there's operating the call is one thing. And then there's also, you know, learning the learning the natural cadences. But, you know, what what advice would you have for, you know, people like us that want to learn to get to get to that level or close? I think the best thing that helped me was recording myself calling, you know, just somewhere in a quiet room with perfect conditions. I would record myself. And this all happened from doing contest calling, which I don't do anymore. But so I'd record myself and then listen to it and and change what I thought needed to change from there because sounds totally different when you're calling and you're hearing it while you're calling in your ear versus to playing it back you know yeah absolutely especially for me especially for me my hearing is so bad you know yeah um yeah so yeah i think recording yourself and listening to it and then that way you can hone in on what you need or you know what you think you need to change and change it to make it sound more real so I mean obviously that was my goal just to try to sound exactly like some real hens that I've heard which you can even real wild hens I've heard so many that it just sounds so awesome just you just go god I want to sound like that but I'm sure you guys also have heard some hens that are just terrible yeah I mean I've heard Lots of hens that I thought for sure 100% was a hunter and then confirmed that it was a real hen. And their calling is terrible, but that's what they do. Yeah, it's just, it's like elk elk hunting. Like I've heard, I've heard elk before where I'm just like, oh my gosh, that guy's horrible. And then he, you know, steps out from behind a tree and it's a real, a real elk, you know. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what, so I've, I've seen you store your calls in water and in the refrigerator and stuff. And you've told me before that you kind of, at the beginning of the season, go through several calls and, and pick, pick the one that, the ones that you like and kind of Mm -hmm. store, store them and keep them wet. And do you still do that? And what, what kind of cuts, um, you know, do you like on the diaphragm? I mean, do you go more clean or more raspy or? Uh, more raspy. I go mostly with the ghost cut, which is 
I don't know. Are you guys familiar with that one? Yeah. Sure yep. But, yeah. The ghost cut. Because you can yelp on it and get lots of ass, but you can also kiki on it, which I do kiki a lot. Okay. Earlier when I mentioned I didn't, now I just realized. I, probably the most other call I use other than a yelp is a kiki. And the only reason I do that is because nobody else does, especially when I'm hunting public land. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so ghost cut, you can kiki on and get lots of ass with, with the yelping. Okay, and so, you know, in my own experience, I consider a ghost cut to be pretty pretty clean. And like you say, it kikis really well and whistles really well. But mm-hmm. how do you get... I, I actually have trouble getting getting them getting it raspy enough i mean how are you getting right. a lot of rasp with that that's the call i was just using was a ghost cut okay um, with let's see what is it it's a it's a three read call it's got two straight reads underneath the ghost cut okay well that's probably that's probably part of it then um that and probably I, helps a lot with the rasp and i think to get more rasp, you have to be super relaxed. Like, I think most people push up with their tongue too hard. Okay. The harder you push up with your tongue, the more clear it's going to be. It's like, my tongue, I don't know, it's just super relaxed and just barely holding the call up enough to even get any sound. And kind of like the second part, that second note of the yelp where you get the rasp. It's just—it's like I drop my tongue a tiny bit to get that. Okay. That okay. Like, not drop my tongue, but lighten up on the pressure. I see. Yeah. And and Aaron, um, you had just mentioned uh, public hunting public <laughs> birds, um, mm-hmm. and um, and I know that you hunt both public and private birds. So, how do you a- approach? hunting one versus the other. So let's say, for example, highly pressured public birds versus, you know, private birds, which are going to be, you know, lighter pressured, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. How does your calling differ? Hunting public birds, I hardly call at all. I mean, I call so little. I mean, I'll go up there in the National Forest some days, and I'll never even blow a call because... Usually I want to get in there quietly and I want the birds to think that there's nobody in there. Because the second they hear just obnoxious hunter calling to them, they're just done. They seriously know that, okay, there's a hunter in here. We need to, and I know turkeys can't think like that, but when they're so pressured like they are, they know yeah, well, I don't, and I hunt a lot of public ground too, and I'm paranoid like you. I don't think that they, you know, they don't have a cognitive thought process, but I do believe that mm-hmm. that they they respond to you know positive and negative reinforcement, and if they hear, mm-hmm. you know, lots of calling and they respond to it, and they 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 come into aggressive calling time and time again, and at some point. You know they're gonna they're gonna realize okay they're gonna associate that with the with a boogeyman you know subconsciously. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So I'll usually even if I get there when they're on the roost or if I get there mid morning, I'll just go in and either hike around slowly if I can hear, or I'll just get to a good listening spot where I can hear for a long ways, and I'll stand there for seriously an hour sometimes just waiting for something to gobble on its own um and if they don't i'll call to them but i'll either just do a short you know a kiki with like two yelps or i just do a little short series of like you know two yelps with a pause three yelps after that just something real short and realistic so they don't think, oh, you know, here comes a hunter. But so they just automatically think it's a real hen. Uh huh. Hmm. And do you and then, uh, do you try to park further away and and 
you know, hide, like hide the sound of your, your approach, you know, whether that be in your truck or on foot or whatever. Yeah. I mean, places that allow, I will park, you know, further than most people, Like, there's a lot of people that you can drive right into the middle of the area and that's what they do. But if I'm going there and I have a feeling there's nobody else there that day, I'll park way out and then you know, walk in a mile just to get to the spot where the turkeys usually are. But yeah, most people just drive in there and and then turkeys know they're there too. Uh-huh. So, um, so, so it sounds, uh, sounds to me like um, kind of the overall message when you're hunting um, when you're hunting highly pressured birds, um, you're a lot more you're a lot more careful about about not alerting the birds to your presence. Yeah, for sure. And you know, if I if I am in there just listening and a bird gobbling on its own, then I'll just you know slowly get to where I want to be if he's gobbling enough to where I can move on him. And then on to where I want to be or, you know, feel like it's a good spot to call from, then I'll just hit them with, like, two yelps. And if he responds, then a super long pause. I mean, way longer than if I'm hunting private birds. Hmm. But, I mean, I'll even, you know, if I yelp twice and he gobbles, I'll wait a half an hour. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> so, That's crazy. Do you put a decoy out at that point, Aaron? Like, um, you know, in that situation, if you get one gobbling and, or he responds or something like that, and you're going to wait, do you put a decoy out? Yeah. Most of the time I'll put just a single hand. Okay. Just the upright hand. Um, that's what I typically carry when I'm hunting public land. Cause I never take the jakes in the public lands, obviously just, because of the danger factor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, just the upright hand, I usually stick out. and That way, because at least if, if one does sneak in silently, silently or shows up, you know, at least he's got something he can focus on and not pick me out, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. But, and, you know, once in a while, I won't. Sometimes it depends on, on where I'm going, like, if it's a extreme hike or whatever i won't even take a decoy once in a while i'll I'll hunt without one but not very often yeah i'd rather have one so and then and then so if you're hunting private land you would you prefer using um a jake with your hen decoy at that point or or a gobbler decoy of any kind yeah, I mean, now I use the Jake a lot, probably at least 50% of the time. I use it a lot more than I used to because um, I know it does work extremely well and the birds react to it. And 99% of the time, if they can see a Jake and if you're within, you know, 80 or 90 yards of them, they're going to come to it. So... A lot of times I'll still just use just a single hand just because I like that. It's kind of like the old school, traditional, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, get get a long beard to just come in strutting right to a hand. I like that kind of hunt, but I use the Jake a lot, especially if I have, if I'm taking, you know, kids or, you know, newer hunters or whatever, just just the reaction of the birds, you know, is, is more exciting to see. So. Yep. Right on. So, um, I got to ask you, um, about Jake sneaking because, (laughs) you know, in the last, like in recent years, you see, you know, reaping has become so popular and, 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 but only in recent years. And yet, I remember hunting with you and Chris, and this was at least 10 years ago, and you guys were already doing that, but you were calling mm-hmm. it Jake sneaking. 
And yeah. and I remember seeing it and experiencing it the first time, you know, mm-hmm. like like ten or eleven years ago. Whenever whenever we we came out with our Jake decoy, the first year we came out with our Jake decoy, and it was just unbelievably effective on that bird that was hung up in the middle of that pasture in the wide open with a hen. And we just could not call him away from that hen. And I ended up shooting that bird at like 10 feet as he was running toward, toward the Jake decoy from underneath it. Yeah. And that was just, just insane. So when did you guys first start doing that? And what, what prompted you to try it? Um, First of all, yeah, it is crazy how that whole reaping and that whole thing taken off. I never thought that would happen, but um, I actually started doing it in like 2000, maybe 2001. Um, and it just kind of accidentally came to me because a lot of times I would just take a hen decoy and if we were hunting birds and they were, you know, over a rise and maybe a hundred yards away and staying in the same spot, not doing anything. I just wanted to see them. I wanted to get a visual on them and see what they were doing. So I'd just take a hen decoy, hold it in front of my face, obviously with a face mask on, and you always need a rise in the in the hill, you know what I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. That you can... So I used to do it with a hen. I'd just take it, hold it, you know, kind of above my eyes, the bottom of the decoy, above my eyes, where I could look under the decoy so that way when you know you peek over the turkeys are going to see just the turkey and not and not any part of me looking at them so i would just i started doing that just so i could look see what the turkeys were doing and then it just kind of came to me and i think i got a response from one of them one time they could see the hen and i ended up just you know, laying down and sticking it in the ground right there where they could see it. And and they ended up coming in to the hen. And then, so it just kind of went from there. And I started doing it with the Jake and it just worked a bunch of times. And I used to do it to where, you know, you get the turkeys to see it. And then I would just, take the decoy and then take off backwards and get to a setup. Um, especially if there's someone else with me, like a, a new hunter or a kid, you know, you'd rather be set up against a tree rather than laying prone underneath the decoy. Um, so I just started doing, using it to do that all the time. And it just, it works. I mean, especially if you can show some long beard, the Jake that's, you know, half strut or strutting from, I would say you can get within 70 to 80 yards. They're coming for sure. But other than that, it seems like if you're further than that, they don't really care. Yeah. Is it, it seems like it's more of a, they have to perceive you as a threat and, and yeah. they don't, they don't do that unless you're a certain distance. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like elk again. Yep. Yeah. yeah so it just, it kind of came to me as just pretty much as on accident really. And then just realized it worked and just started doing it. So, and I shot a couple of them where like you did that time where, you just stake the decoy and then you're laying you know, your guns basically pointing right underneath the decoy and shoot them that way. But the, the, just like that time you killed that one, Brad, it was just what situation's kind of tough because they, you can't get them to stop. And right. Yeah. He came so yeah. fast. As yeah. soon as we, as soon as we crested the hill and we pointed our, our Jake decoy right toward him. And that bird was about 70 or 80 yards down in that bottom. And as soon as you called, he turned, looked up, he dropped his fan, came out of strut Mm -hmm. and, and he just marched up the hill 
and he yeah. never slid. He he sped up the closer he got, and I don't. Yep. There just wasn't time. You know, there wasn't time to do anything but stake that decoy into the ground and lay prone underneath it and get ready. And I mean, I shot him at 10 feet and closing rapidly. It was, <laughs> it was insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. I think yeah. somebody needs to do it without a gun. I mean, or a bow. Spear like one. A knife or something. Yeah. Or, or just try yeah. to... Try to choke one to death or something. Yeah, like they do in Hawaii with pigs. I've heard they, I've heard that yeah. some guys will actually like literally, they kill them with a machete or a knife. Oh boy. Yeah, wait, l- wait for a boar to charge them, and then at the last second they jump out of the way, and then they, they <laughs> go for the jugular. Well, I have lots of family in Hawaii, so I can actually believe that. <laughs> well, there you go. Next time you're out there, there's something for you to try, Dave. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> Dave, I, I like your uh, your next challenge that you want to do. Oh. Stand up. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? Do you think that would work? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it'd, be, it'd take a lot to get one to actually fly because, you know, it'd probably just end up running 10 yards and then standing there and looking at you. Yeah. But if you could get one to fly, it'd be sick. Yeah. I but, think... Okay. You're going to have to film me in here. Okay. Um, so what it is, is you're gonna, you're gonna put your decoys out at like five yards, just like we would for bow hunting five or six or seven this is, yards. This is what you want to do for your next challenge. Yes. Okay. And you're going to stand or I'm, or whoever's going to try it, Aaron <laughs> is going to stand right behind a tree. And when the birds come in and start working the decoys, I'm going to jump from behind the tree. Um, and be like three yards from these gobblers, and hopefully the gobbler then would fly, fly away, and then shoot it out of the air with the shotgun. <laughs> I think that'd be super fun. I, the, I really think the expression on your face and your, your body gesturing there when you said, I'm just going to jump out from behind the tree. I picture you like like with a cape like Nacho Libre, you know, <laughs> jumping, jumping out from behind the tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm picturing me as. <laughs> well, Aaron, I think you should try it. I mean, you you guys have more birds to play with, you know. If it doesn't work, yeah. you could always blame me. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I think next time you're down here, you need to try it. Okay. I think it'd be best entertainment if you were the shooter. <laughs> I could be. Yeah, I'll be in my white socks. You know, um, you know when they when they made pellet gun hunting legal down there. I remember Ricky tried once or twice to get one with a pellet gun. Yeah. Um, did he ever get one that way? Um, I think he did end up killing one. Remember that one hunt that it was me, you, and Ricky, and he shot at the one. You remember that? I do. Yep. Out on, on his place. And he didn't hit it perfect. He didn't get it in the vitals. And he, we ended up seeing the hole that went through its head, but it only went through, like, skin or meat. Um, yeah. Because I think right after he shot at it with his, with his pellet gun, I think you killed it, or I did, or somebody ended up shooting that bird. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think you shot it with your. I think you shot it with your shotgun. I think so. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure he ended up killing one at some point with that gun. But yeah, it's pretty cool that they made that legal because there's so many places and you know neighborhoods and oh man, yeah, where people can hunt, you know. So yeah, and the pellet guns that they have on the market these days, I mean, um. They're not only insanely accurate and deadly quiet, but the um, the the velocity of those things is. I mean, they're they're up to what, like fifteen hundred feet per second now. Some of them, oh, yeah, twenty yeah. twenty two caliber pellet. Mm-hmm. You know, going that fast, yeah, that'd kill a turkey all day long. Yeah, it's crazy. So. Um, I'm curious, Aaron, do you have like a really memorable hunt that stands out in your mind that you'd like to share with us? Um, 
let's see. There's a couple. Um, well, first of all, let's just do this one for Dave's sake. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm hanging <laughs> up. All right, I I'm like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think it was last time you guys were down here, and Brad, you showed up just so sick. And so the next morning, you couldn't even hunt. You were so sick. And me and Dave went out, and well, me and Dave and both my boys, and it was a natural archery setup. But Dave wanted the 20 gauge next to him, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And this, and this bird comes in perfect. Like right away, we get this hot bird, it comes in. And it's right at the Jake decoy. And Dave shoots with the bow and hits it. But it wasn't vital. And the bird didn't even care. It came right back to the decoy. Dave was able to um, get another, knock another arrow. He's at it again and hits it again. But it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a vital one. And the bird ended up kind of getting weird and walked away like, I don't know, he was at like 30 yards, 25, 30 yards, and just kind of pacing around, and you could tell he was kind of wounded-ish, hurt a little bit, but not bad. And then, and I'm back behind Dave, like 40 yards, float calling, and the whole time I'm thinking, pick up the gun and shoot him, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> like for a long time, and it never happened. <laughs> And I forget what happened after that, but I think the bird, I don't know if Dave ended up swinging another arrow at him or if the bird just left. But anyways, um, so then after the bird left, we got together and I'm like, hey, why didn't you shoot him with the gun and kill him? And Dave's like, I forgot I had the gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, gun, what gun? What are you talking about? laying right next to him just for that purpose. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that setup, that whole setup just freaked me out because, I mean, you want to talk about a clean forest floor. There was absolutely yeah. nothing. And, I know. And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm in, a, in a weird position, like trying to sit, I think I was trying to shoot off my butt. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, I'm I'm making excuses, like there's, there's no great excuse or whatever, but, you know, it's probably you know, nervous. I mean, I'll tell you what, I get nervous just hunting around, around other people, just like, just like doing anything around other people. Like I, even on these goose hunts and collar hunts and stuff like that, like, uh, I've, I do way, way, way better when I'm, when I'm by myself, you know? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, yeah. but yeah, I just, I, I mean, I remember like afterwards you kind of saying like, why did you shoot him with a shotgun? And it just hit me like, like a ton of bricks. Like, Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. I forgot all about that shotgun. And you yeah. know, the, the joke kind of was, is like, well, I want the shotgun there for security. And then, you know, and it's like, well, I didn't say you needed to load it. <laughs> you know, I just wanted it for security. <laughs> like it made me feel secure that the shotgun was like in case like a homeless person came and tried <laughs> You know, or a zombie or something like that, because you never know. And there's bears and cougars in that country. I wasn't going to yeah. shoot shoot the bird with it. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, was, well, I don't know. I think that bird, I think you ended up hitting him in the leg or thigh or, because remember we tracked him and we ended up finding a blood trail and he went down and crossed the creek. And I mean, we followed some kind of, you know, light blood trail for like half a mile or something. Then he crossed the fence and went on to the neighbor's place and we couldn't keep, yeah, couldn't keep, keep following it, but it definitely wasn't a lethal hit, but yeah, that's a bad deal. I hate, I hate, I hate doing that, but it, it does happen. Yeah. Nothing you can do about it. But so, so that's one of your most memorable hunts. Do you have any memorable hunts <laughs> that, have a, that have a happy ending or don't that, you know, don't involve me making a jackass of myself. <laughs> it's funny. That's sort of a recurring theme throughout the podcast. That wasn't the point was not to make a jackass out of you. <laughs> yeah, no, I can do that all. I can do that on my own. Anyways, I don't need any help, any help with that. But no, that, that was, it was super fun. I just, I felt kind of bad because I know that, 
you, know, you guys only have so many, so many toms and, you know, you're nice enough to invite me out there and, and all that stuff. And it's like, uh, yeah, I, I felt, <laughs> I felt kind of bad about that one. Um, so another one, I guess, yeah, I, probably my first turkey. I mean, and I was like 15 years old. Well, my first male turkey during the spring season, I should say, cause I had killed a couple hens in the fall when I was like 14 and I'd been trying for, you know, a couple years to kill one in the spring and I was learning all my own. I'd, turkey hunting was totally new to the area and I was doing everything on my own. I didn't know anyone older that hunted or no one to teach me, but so a couple of springs and I couldn't kill one. And then finally, I think I was like 15, 15 or 16, and it was, just, it was the first time that we had a, a turkey coming into calls in the springtime. And it ended up just being a Jake, a solo Jake. But I had just lost my mind. I mean, I, I can't even believe I could even shoot. I was shaking and hyperventilating so bad. <laughs> That's awesome. Because I was so pumped. And... It was a weird deal because we were on top of this kind of steep little knoll that dropped off, you know, pretty fast on all sides. And this turkey came in, we were, you know, facing like to the north. And then while the turkey was out of sight, but only within like 40 yards, he was making his way around this hill where we couldn't see him. And we had to move like 180 degrees all the way around the trunk of the tree. Just, we just kept moving and following where the turkey was. And finally he came up and over. And by that time we're like facing south and good thing we could get away with the movement. But, um, and yeah, so that thing came right in like 20 yards and was all strutting and spitting and drumming. And I was just a wreck, but <laughs> ended up killing him and, that was it. That was my first one, and yeah, I was super pumped. You were ruined at that point. And you were 13? Oh, yeah. I was like, I think I was 15. 15. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. so, so your boys both killed their birds, their first when they were, like, how old was Wyatt when he killed his first bird? Um, I think he was nine. And And so he's probably, what, yeah. 12 now? He's 13. He's 13, and he's probably yeah. already killed a dozen long weirds, I bet. Oh, yeah. He's probably probably more than that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, he's killed three for the last three or four springs, and then he usually kills a long beard or two during the fall. So, yeah, he's up there around 15, probably. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and Talon... Talon, who's well, a couple years older than Wyatt, right? Yeah, he's sixteen. He's sixteen now, and he's yep. he's killed his share as well. Oh uh, yeah, he's killed a pile of them. Yep, not as many as Wyatt, just because he's not as into it, and he will not get up out of bed if it's before nine o'clock in the morning. So <laughs> <laughs> he's so at he that age. Know, he doesn't spend as much time know in the woods trying but, but yeah he's killed a bunch of them too yeah and what's the story on you've got a mount of a bird with a ridiculously long beard is that one that you shot yourself aaron yeah that is one i killed that was, that was quite a long time ago was probably like 2001 or two um yeah i had a 13 inch beard oh my gosh that's crazy it was, it was super crazy i mean i didn't even after I killed him, I knew it was long, but I didn't, it just didn't seem that long until I, and then when I put a tape on it, I was like, it just kept going. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. weird. But, but yeah, and it's just the whole, you know, the whole beard, it's not one strand or two, it's, you know, the whole hundred strands of beard. Yeah, that's, like, what, that's what I was going to say, because there's some that got a lot of length by having, you know, a, an mm -hmm. oddball strand, but not that one. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a tiny bird too. 
Wow. He weighed 16 pounds. Hmm. So, yeah, it's just really weird. Yeah, that's crazy. Man, what a a stud. I mean, I'm still waiting for my my first 11-inch beard. I I can't seem to break about the 10-and-a-half-inch mark. I've killed Uh I don't know how many at that at that size and it just seems to to be yeah. the the length where i max out at maybe one of these years of course i take my dad out um two seasons ago and you know <laughs> he only hunts a fraction <laughs> as often as i do yeah. um and you know get him a a stud bird with an 11 and a half inch beard and inch and a half inch hooks and and um like like your 13 inch beard it was 11 and a half inches of just a broom you know just thick thick and long the the whole way uh-huh. that was an awesome nice. bird yeah got him up on the wall too sweet yep so well i tell you what aaron um i think it's about time for us to to wrap up but uh we sure appreciate you joining us for this episode of our uh, DSD hunting podcast and uh, best of luck to you this coming spring and, and to the boys make sure you say hello to Stacy and DJ and Taylor and yep. Wyatt and sure. um, keep in touch buddy yeah cool sounds good and thanks for having me it was fun and yeah we'll talk to you guys soon I'll probably send you some pictures this weekend or something oh sounds good Aaron. awesome appreciate it 